If, you, uh, if the rest of you would pray with me as we come to the word this morning. Lord Jesus. Right now I'm just very grateful that you would come and meet with us this morning. Lord, that we can have the kind of hope that Kenna was talking about, the kind of peace and security even in the midst of trials because we know and trust that you are good. Lord, this week I have just been overwhelmed with my lack of goodness, um, with my inability to deserve what you give. And I'm just left so grateful for it. So Lord, even as we just come together to, uh, this morning just to do church, may we not miss what you're doing in our midst offering us gifts that we could never hope to earn on our own, your presence with us. Just make yourself known, God, and may our hearts respond in worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, if you were with us, it was Easter, kind of a big one. Um, we were looking at the reason that Jesus has come to earth. We were looking at what is Jesus' mission and what we came to, we looked at John 3.16 and then moved on from there. Jesus came, as he would put it in Luke chapter 19, to seek and to save the lost. We, we, if you remember, we started in John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. And it says that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that what? Does anyone remember? So that none should perish. And we, and we looked at that word perish, and we said, actually, it's not just this like final perish one day in terms of hell, which should get our attention, but it was also so that none should be perishing. And actually, that same word is used for lost. And we, we looked at a couple parables that Jesus taught, again, some of his most famous ones, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. It was the same word of, of a shepherd going, oh no, I've only got 99. One of them is actively lost. Not eaten by wolves, gone forever, but has wandered away. And what was the shepherd's response to his lost sheep? I gotta go find him. And so we find that he leaves the 99 to go look for the one. We were looking at God's response to our lostness. He gave his son, sent him down to earth to seek and find those that are lost. The, the parable of the lost coin, a woman loses a silver coin. She had 10, now she's only got nine. What does she do, church? She begins to tear her house apart looking for this coin. And when she finds it, what does she do? She calls her friends together and she throws a party to celebrate that she has found the lost coin. This is the heart of God. And then we told the story of the lost son, often called the prodigal son. I don't use the word prodigal now. I honestly don't know what it means. But in keeping with that, uh, that same word that Jesus was using, it was the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The son wanders away from the father and is lost out in a distant country, when he turns back, what does the father do? What is the father's response to his lost son coming home? 
You're right, Alana. He stood up on the front porch and went, how dare you? <laughs> he did, did he meet him halfway? No, he made him come all the way, right? No. Before he even got to town, it said the father who was looking for him saw him coming a long way off and ran to him. And then what did the father do when he got to the son? Threw a party. You catching the theme here? Jesus was telling the same story and going, okay, you don't get sheep, let's try money. Money wasn't valuable, let's try your children. And he just kept telling the same story because he was driving home the point. The father is looking for those that are lost and his heart overflows with joy when he finds them. This was the mission of Jesus, to come to the earth to seek and save the lost. God's response to our lostness was to put himself in our place, to lose his own son on the cross so that we could experience life, so that we could truly, in every sense of the word, be found. And that's good news, right? And that happened 2,000 years ago, right? And now God's been sitting on his hands for the last 2,000 years, right? Good, church. No, not at all. Jesus came with a very specific mission, seek and save the lost. We today have been called into mission with our king. We've been called to do the same things he did, not go and die on the cross in someone else's place. We're incapable. But to take the message, the good news of the kingdom to those that are lost. We have been called into the same mission as our king. What was Jesus' call to each of his disciples? He would meet them in different places, at a fishing boat or along the road, or one of them's up in a tree. What did he tell each of them? Follow me. Not, he didn't say, hey, here, uh, I wrote some things down. Just believe these statements. He said, come, follow me. And what they would have understood that to be wasn't just, okay, we're going to Philippi now, and we're just physically following him around. It was, do what I do. Come and learn from me. Be like me. Come and follow after me. Follow in my footsteps. Jesus, uh, one of his last commands to his disciples, after his death and his resurrection, he had about 40 days where he walked with them and, and kept teaching them. And one of the last things he told them, the Great Commission, then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let me paraphrase. I'm in charge. There is nothing that has ever been created that I'm not in charge of, Jesus was saying. Now, therefore, because I'm in charge, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And the disciples would have gone, whoa, 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 that's what you did, though. But but that's your job. We can't do the things that you did. That's crazy. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and do the same things you saw me doing. I will be with you. I will actually be doing them through you. But your job is to go be on the same mission that you saw me be on. And he wasn't just talking to the 12 period full stop. Okay, those disciples got it. 
This was to be carried on. This was Jesus' last command for the church. Go do the things you saw me doing. The Apostle Paul, who years later would get grafted into the family of God, he had this experience with Jesus where Jesus told him, now come follow me, Paul. And here is how Paul puts it. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And in case there were any that were going, wait, reconciliation, what are you talking about? He said that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That the, the reconciliation piece fits so well with the rest of Jesus' message. Something that is lost, that has been separated, to reconcile is to bring back together. To knit together something that's been destroyed. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and now we have been sent with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. God wants you to be brought back together with him. This is the, the mission of our lives. We have been made Christ's ambassadors, his representatives, as though, and I mean, we, this should floor us, as though on Christ's behalf, as though he was making his message known through us. The same things we saw him doing, we are to do. Is this new news to anyone? These two passages you guys have heard so many times, even just in the last year alone. We know these. The way that we have started to uh, kind of talk about this value is this phrase. Every man, woman, and child has the right, the God-given right, to have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. That this is the call of our lives, that every person God has given us influence over, every person that is a part of our, our community, our family, our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, that we recognize they have the God-given right to hear and respond to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus, and who is going to tell them if not us? That we have responsibility over the lostness of those that God has placed in our path. Does this make sense, church? I don't get to look at my neighbors and their lostness and go, man, I hope somebody tells them. I hope they figure it out one day. Man, they're kind of a jerk. I hope they stop that one day. It's my responsibility to share with them the truth of life, that the God of the universe, that their heavenly Father desires to be reconciled. It's our mission to see this happen in our corner of the world. Again, when we start to say every man, woman, and child, it can start to feel, whoa, it's so big. It's kind of like the Great Commission, go to the, all nations, to the ends of the earth, and we go, whoa. This is why we start and we focus with who are your three. Because it's my responsibility to seek opportunity for them to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. One day... I, you, will be held accountable for it. When we understand this, one day we're going to stand before Jesus. This isn't in my notes, so hopefully we don't get in trouble here. We're going to stand before Jesus, and he's not going to go, well, how many times did you go to church? Did you sing, or did you like sing? Let's talk about what you gave. 
These are not going to be like the pressing questions that he's going to ask. He's going to be like, what did you do with the opportunities around you? Did you truly follow me? Did you see the lost on the side of the road and just walk by because you were too busy because it was too messy? Or did you enter in because that's what I would have done? These are the kind of things we're going to be held accountable for one day. And I don't mean this like God's some angry judge up there. But he is our heavenly father watching, going, watch what I will do if you will just enter in with me. If you will just own the responsibility I've given you, watch what I will do. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. But we have to truly follow him, enter in and own our responsibility. Every man, woman, and child has the right to have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's where things get a little tricky. Our culture, our world are changing like they've never changed before. In both pace and direction, we are experiencing unprecedented change in the world around us. I was thinking about it this week of like the pace of change. When you read some of like the history books, you're like, man, this is kind of how culture was and how the world did things. And then the printing press was invented. And for the next like, hundred years. This is how things were done. And it had this kind of very slow, methodical change to the world, the way we saw things, the way we approached things. Since I was born 40 years ago, it was inconceivable that every person could have a computer in their own home. 25 years later, we had one in our pocket. We have never seen change like this. When I was born 40 years ago, there was a very select few who would ever get to see the world from space. Now, normal people, incredibly rich, and we can say whatever else, but just normal people like us, untrained, going for vacation to space. We have never seen things change this rapidly. When I was born, there was three, five, and eight. Those were the channels you got. Shortly thereafter, somewhere around, cable came out. And wow, the thought of having like 40 channels. Then it went to hundreds of channels and nothing's on. Now, you are your own channel. Every single human being has the opportunity to be their own channel. It's insane. We have never seen the world change at this pace. And with it, something we're going to talk about more next week, there's been a change in direction. What human beings have been told to aim for has drastically changed as well. And here's the truth of it. Our world is changing like never before. We must change as well. If we're going to meet the needs of the people that God has placed in our path. The church is terrible at change. It always has been. We see change and we call it witchcraft. And we start burning people at the stake or whatever else. The church has always been decades behind where the world is. And it's not always a bad thing. We should be somewhat cautious about change because we have something incredibly sacred that should never change, the message of reconciliation. What we have to be careful not to do is to so closely intertwine the method with the message. The message is sacred. The method is should be changing as the world around us changes. 
what is the kingdom message that we have been called to preach, church? let's, Let's talk a little bit. This sacred message that should never change. What is the message that we have been called to take to the world? Jesus only saves. Jesus changes lives. What's the message? Again, if we don't know this, we're not going to do very good at taking the message to the world. What is the message that we have been given? (laughs) Good Friday, (laughs) Easter. Oh, man. Did you guys tickle? (laughs) What is the message? That he died for our sins. Jesus only saves. Jesus' desire is to transform us from the inside out. We have a problem, and that problem is sin. God took care of that problem on our behalf. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, died on the cross, and is there an important part that comes after that? I can never quite remember. Oh, right, 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 right. Then rose back to life. Even death couldn't overcome him. Now because of his death and resurrection on our behalf, we can be reconciled to God. We can be saved. We can be changed and transformed. This is the message that should never change. To tweak that in any way, those core principles, is to completely change the message of the gospel, is to change the story of what happened on our behalf, and far be it from us. The message must remain the same. But let me ask this. What have been the methods that the church has been using to get that message across? The church for a long time has gone, there's lost people and God wants them found. How have we gone about doing that? Okay, you scare the hell out of them. Yeah, you you bring them to church and get that fire and brimstone preacher to just get them so scared of hell that they go, I'll choose the other one. Heaven, was it called? Let's do that. Okay. What are the methods that the church has been using? Okay. (laughs) Which is kind of like, instead of a tip, I'll leave this track. Horrible, don't ever do it. Tip well to the glory of God. But we'll kind of leave these little booklets behind, hoping people then pick them up, read them, and go, oh, wow, I never heard that before. Okay. Come and see. Man, you got to come to my church. You got to hear my pastor speak. I know you guys all say that. But it'll change your life. You've got to come to my church. Come and see. Invite. What else? Okay. What does that mean, witness? Okay. To tell people your story. Good. Somebody was here last week. Man, for, there was about a 15, 20-year period where we went hard into Christian T-shirts. <laughs> if I can just wear the right ones, people are going to come to Jesus. Yeah. Hopefully that was never plan A, but we at least dabbled. Mm. We loved our professional Christians. Raise your hand in here if you're a professional Christian. It's weird. Like, I would get fired for not reading my Bible. Any, anyone else? No? Like, Brian. <laughs> Brian. 
It's a weird thing, okay? But, but for a long time, this was, and hear this, what you were taught. This isn't really your game. Your job is to fund the professional Christians. Your job is to volunteer so that the programs the professional Christians come up with actually happen. And your job is to invite your friends. For years, like as in centuries, this has been the method the church has used. And it's not like, well, the people had an uprising and they came up with it. Like those in my position taught it from the pulpit for years. Your job is simply to invite people here because I'll share the gospel with them and get them saved at that point. That's been the method of the church. Guess what you will never find in Scripture? That method. Paul never said, man, just bring them on to me because I'm Christ's ambassador and I've been given the message of reconciliation. Paul was saying, we have this message. We have been called on this mission. We are responsible for it. Most Western churches would agree with Paul's statement, but instead of saying we, they would say you, pastor. You've been called to preach that message. I've been called to put money in the offering plate and invite some friends if it's convenient. This is not the biblical method. This is not what we have actually been called to. If we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, the church that God has called us to be, if we're going to follow him, we must reimagine what missional engagement looks like. Missional engagement, kind of a big word. Really, it's the methods that we use to engage the word with our message. The message never changes. Jesus only. It is about his death in our place, his resurrection, his overcoming death on our behalf. And for those that will follow him, we get to be adopted into that family. That will never change. But we have to reimagine how we go about getting that message across. We're going to talk next week about a lot of the cultural shifts that have happened in culture to why we're just inviting people, even if it ever did work, certainly isn't going to work now. But the way we go about our mission has to change. Tim Keller, uh, in his book, uh, he's a pastor in, in New York City, and in his book, um, oh man, now I'm forgetting, it's How to Reach the West Again, he starts to look at some of the, the ways that we've been taught to engage the world with our mission. And here's one of the things that he says. For a thousand years, the Western church's basic ministry model was premised on the social reality that people would be coming to church prepared and positive, and we could simply preach our sound biblical sermons to them. Increasingly, this is not the case. Come and see doesn't work anymore. Again, I question how well it ever really worked in the first place. But in our culture now, come and see doesn't work. Certainly not when we talk about come to church Sunday mornings at 1030, and don't, that you'll get saved, don't worry. It doesn't work. There's a trap that the church has continued to fall into for all of its history. As long as there has been a church, there has been this trap we've been tempted toward. It's got a certain gravity to it. I call it the temple mindset. 
It's the field of dreams mentality. The church has continually fallen into, if we build it, they will come. So we'll build it really big and beautiful, and they will come and find Jesus. We'll we'll have the best music out there. We'll have the best speaker that we can. On and on it goes. If we build it right, they will come to us. This has never been what we've been called to. There has always been this temple mindset. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to worship God, he literally had an address and you had to go see him. If you had questions about God, the professionals who could answer them for you lived at that address. And very much it was the temple is in Jerusalem. If you want to worship, that's where you got to go. Forward, fast forward, not very long into the future, and the church had slipped into the same mindset. One of the last teachings of Jesus, we looked at the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. In Acts chapter 1, literally right before he ascends into heaven, here's what he tells his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're not very familiar with ancient Judean geography, but essentially it was concentric circles. In Jerusalem, which is in Judea, which is in Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. My Holy Spirit will come on you, and you will have power to be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth and everywhere in between. Then Acts chapter 2 comes. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. And and we see the apostles preaching with incredible power. And many are coming to faith in Jerusalem. It's a busy time. And so there's a lot of people in Jerusalem, and they're coming, and they're hearing the message. And the church goes, this works so well, let's set up shop in the temple. And so they would begin to meet regularly in the temple and say, if you want to hear the truth, come. All are welcome. Come and hear the truth. And they would meet in the temple in Jerusalem for the next five to six years. Come and see. Come to us. They had forgotten what Jesus told them. Just like you saw me making disciples, did Jesus just build camp and go, bring them in? What did he do? He went out to where people were. He went to find the lost. He didn't just stand on a hill and go, lost, I'm here if you want me. He went to where they were, but the church fell into the trap. They stayed put. His last command You will be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. His parting shot to them, and they missed it, and they stayed put. Five to six years later, they're still in Jerusalem, meeting in the temple, telling everybody, come and see. Until God says, okay, they don't want to leave. Let me help nudge them along a little bit. What what was the event that God used to nudge the church in that direction? Does anybody know? Nope, the destruction of the temple happened later. Persecution, the death of Stephen. We call him Stephen the martyr oftentimes. Stephen was a deacon, a man filled with the Holy Spirit who was going all around preaching the good news of Jesus until those in the the real temple got tired of it. They sentenced him to death on the spot. They dragged him out and they stoned him to death. And this started a riot inside of Jerusalem. 
And in Acts chapter 8, eight chapters later, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, who would later become Paul, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, dragging off men and women to put them in prison. And we go, whoa, 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 whoa. God wouldn't, like, make things really hard to get people moving in the right direction, would he? Would he? Verse 4. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the message of the good news. They had that temple mentality, come and see, we're just going to be in this big, beautiful building, we got a special room set aside, we got some really good singers, come and see, until finally God said, I said go. And through persecution, scattered the church, not in some mean, I'm going to break, throw it on the ground and shatter it kind of way, but going, watch how beautiful this is. As you go throughout life, even running for your lives, they began to preach the good news. And we see the gospel spread like wildfire because the church had no choice but to go. They couldn't do come and see anymore. The church has always kind of fallen back into this. This was a, a, a piece of what was behind the Protestant Reformation. The Catholic Church at the time said, we're it. You don't even need your own Bible. Just come to us. We'll tell you what you need. Come and see. We have the keys to the kingdom. The only way to get saved is to come through us kind of thing. And this was part of the impetus of, no, this is for everyone. This is not just the ministry of some priest somewhere. We're all priests of God. We're all ambassadors and representatives. The word of God should be in every man and woman's hand, and they have the responsibility to take it to their neighbors. And so the Protestant Reformation came up, and so what we did is we just built different kinds of churches and told people, now come to me, and I will give you what you need. Come and see. And here we are. The model that most of us have grown up in have been your job is to invest, volunteer, and invite. The professional clergy will take care of everything else. I've talked about this before. Um, Got to figure out a better word, because how many of you have heard the word laity, or like layperson? Who, who in here would be considered the laity? You guys. Who in here would be considered the clergy? Me. Quick history in Latin. Lay means stupid. I'm not joking. It means dumb and illiterate. And so even in the terminology that we use, you can see how it's been ingrained in the church. You're the dumb, illiterate people. I'm the learned one, even though, hear me, I have less education than almost every person sitting in this room. You are the learned ones. But that's the way that the church built things for hundreds of years, and that's what most of us have grown up in. We're just the normal Christians. What could we really do anyway? It, he's the professional. If we want our friends to get saved, they need to come meet our pastor. I'm happy to meet your friends, but your friends are not my responsibility. They're yours. We have to fight this temple mentality. Come and see. It's about what happens on a Sunday morning. This is not the way forward for the church. 
This is not the way that Jesus engaged the world with his mission, and it's not the way he's calling us to engage the world with our mission. Does this make sense, church? We must reimagine what missional engagement looks like. So let me end by asking this question. If the church building isn't going to be the center of our missional engagement, if if calling people here on a Sunday morning isn't the, the centerpiece of how we reach the world, then what will be? If, if what happens inside these four walls is not the most important thing, is not the, the focus of our mission, then what will be? Everywhere else. <laughs> Everywhere else. Practically, what will be? Where you are. Where are you? Your house. Your work. Kroger. Your school. The center for our missional engagement is going to be your dining room table, around your grill, your desk at work. We have been called to take the message and go to where people are. And listen, I I do think that inviting is one of the most powerful things we can do, but not to church. Inviting people into our home to see what life, as the word says, life that is truly life, to see it, to be able to sit down and break bread and go, man, the way that you are with your kids, the way, like the fact that you guys actually sit down at a table together and have a meal together, like it's going to blow people's minds. This is where they, as, as it says in first Peter, will see, they will see the way that we live and they will demand an explanation for it for the hope that we have in us. As long as our whole thing is, hey, you got to come to my church. You'd really like the worship. You'd really like the pastor. I'm putting words in your mouth. You may not say those things. Like, that's okay. But as long as that's the only method we have, we will continue to shrink. We will continue to wonder, how come they're not coming in anymore? Do we need a better sign? We do need a better sign. Please come to the work day. (laughs) But signage is not our problem. Branding is not our problem. We're focusing in the wrong area. You have been called to be an ambassador of Christ where you work, live, and play. You have been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. God has put people in your sphere of influence that need to hear the good news of Christ. They need to see it lived out in a way where they can't on a Sunday morning. I don't really see us having like evangelistic outreaches here as a church. I I mean, can we get some guys together and put something on a grill and invite our friends? Like, sure. But the way that we are going to reach Elkins is one home at a time, one meal at a time, inviting over one neighbor at a time. Just come and be around me. Here's what I truly believe, church. That when the lost, those that have a heart, those that are recognizing they're lost, and that's the Lord's work, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He draws men to himself. We can't do that. But for those that he is drawing, when they spend time around us, when they see us interacting together as family and as friends, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that to some we are the, the fragrance of life. 
That, that they will be, and my, this is my prayer for so many people, they will be jealous for what we have in the best way possible. What I have isn't working. I need what you have, and I'll do anything to get it. I got it through Jesus. Okay, I'll try it. They have to see it. We have to be living the kind of lives that put it on display. We have to be welcoming people into our homes. It's the ancient art of hospitality. And we have to become masters at it. That doesn't mean that your house is always clean and the food is always the best they've ever had. That's, I mean, that's my house, but it doesn't have to be yours. Hospitality is you are welcome here. Regardless of where you are in life and regardless of what's going on, you are welcome. Come and watch how I live. Come and see the hope that is within me. And I believe that God will raise up a jealousy inside of them for it. But we have to shift the way that we go about it. Invite your friends to church. It's a good thing. Invite your friends to dinner. It's even better. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, if there are any of us right now, God, resistant to this, because it sounds hard, because it requires personal accountability, because it's not the way we've seen things done before, whatever it is, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to shift our focus. Lord, that we would, in our times with you, be able to reimagine a new way that you would just convict our hearts that the old way isn't working. Lord, our heart, I pray, is the same as yours, that the lost would be found, that we would see new life being birthed. God, I love every person in this room, but I'm tired of only seeing their faces. May we see new life, God, being born, new people baptized in, just as your great commission said to the family. We have been called on the same mission as you and we have been given the same power as you. May we see your power at work in our lives, God, as we realize our own ambassadorship, our own mission with you. And may the world around us see something they've never seen before and be drawn in by it, I pray. May we see your kingdom come. May we see your will be done in our own homes, God, in our own families, because we have embraced the mission of our King. So Lord, would you move us in this direction? I don't know what all the steps are between here and there. I need your creativity. I need your wisdom and discernment. God, we all do. But may we have hearts willing to follow wherever you lead to see the lost found in your kingdom come, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.